Welcome to the Constant Source Podcast, where we are reimagining family discipleship. Hi friends, I'm Ken Kuhn, and thank you for tuning in to this week's issue of Constant Source Podcast. Before jumping in today, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody who sponsors us through Patreon or through our website, and who has taken the time to leave us a review or a rating. These things mean a lot in the podcast world. And so if you haven't yet, it would be awesome if you like our podcast to take a minute and give us those five stars on iTunes so that others can experience the ministry of Constant Source. Now let's dive in. Our main text this week comes from the book of Habakkuk found in the Old Testament, and our further readings are from Psalms, the book of 2 Timothy, and also the Gospel of Luke. Receive now the word of the Lord. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, 2, 1 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. These are the words of the Lord found in Habakkuk. Thanks be to God. Have you ever looked around at all the brokenness and violence in the world and wondered how God could possibly be good if God's creation acts the way it does? I know I have. And if you have, we aren't the first to ask questions like these. And unfortunately, we will probably not be the last. In fact, these are the kind of questions that Habakkuk is asking. Habakkuk is a unique prophetic voice amongst the other prophetic voices of the Old Testament because unlike the ways that many of the other prophets delivered their messages from God to the people of Israel, Habakkuk simply cries out to God in lament, expecting God to answer his questions. As we see throughout this short book, God does answer him. The book of Habakkuk boldly voices many of the hard questions that we often find on our lips, but can't bring ourselves to ask. It encourages us to remember what God has done throughout time and challenges us to find hope and comfort in God's faithfulness. Let's take a deeper look. Habakkuk starts off in chapter 1 by crying out to God because when he looks at Israel, his people, and also God's people, all he sees is violence, abuse of power, injustice, and idolatry. In crying out to God, he boldly asks, Are you even listening, God? Are you even there? We must not rush by this cry of desperation and lament. The very fact that it was recorded and included in our holy scriptures should bring us hope. Doubt and questioning God are often shied away from in Christian culture, but that's not the example that has been set for us. From the questions of Habakkuk in chapter 1 to Jesus' recitation of Psalm 22-1 on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible reminds us time and time again that God can handle our questions and doubt. 
and that God longs to meet us in these vulnerable and intimate places. In fact, as we see in Habakkuk chapter 2, God shows up and invites Habakkuk to take a seat and start chiseling notes. In the last three verses of our reading, God assures Habakkuk that a plan for justice is in place and that he will have to watch and see how it plays out. Ultimately, our reading concludes with the first line of wisdom that God gives to Habakkuk in light of his questions. Verse 4 promises that a time will come when the righteous will stand apart from the proud and unjust, that they will be known for their faith, and they will be inspired by the Holy Spirit. As the rest of chapter 2 unfolds, God names a long list of actions that God identifies as unjust and wrong, as if to say, I see them too, Habakkuk, and I am listening. Then God concludes by reminding Habakkuk that the one who created all of this is still on the throne. In other words, God's saying, I've got this. What we don't see in our reading is Habakkuk's response to God's declaration. This happens in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a long-form prayer that has been alluded to and used in many ways throughout the centuries by Christians as a common prayer of lament. In the prayer, Habakkuk asks that the work of the Lord would be revived now, in his generation, and that God's deserved wrath would ultimately lead to mercy. The middle of Habakkuk's prayer artistically describes the way that God's wrath comes to fruition in all parts of creation, destroying the wicked and striking awe into all who witness God's power. Habakkuk finishes his prayer by saying that even though he doesn't see the fruit of the Lord's labors at this moment, he has no doubt that God's salvation is coming and that God's strength will bolster God's followers. In short, Habakkuk's conclusion is simply that though he may not understand the way that God is at work in this very moment, he can make the choice to trust that God is at work even if he can't guess the outcome. From our modern day perspective, we can see that unfortunately there is still plenty of brokenness in the world, but we also have the privilege of knowing that God sent Jesus to carry out the promise of healing that brokenness, and even now continues on in that work through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Overall, Habakkuk plays an extremely important role within our scriptures because it teaches us that it is okay to look around and ask the hard questions of God. It encourages us to lament that which is broken in the same way that God does, and it challenges us to trust God even when the method doesn't make sense and the outcome can't be seen. In reflection of our reading of Habakkuk, think through these questions. Question one, how does Habakkuk's story resonate with you? What value do you think these three quick chapters toward the end of the Old Testament add to the Bible as a whole? Question two, when was the last time you heard about or witnessed something terrible happen in the world that made you question God's goodness? Question number three. Was doubt and questioning of God welcome in your home growing up? What do you implicitly or explicitly communicate to your kids about doubt? As you take time to share what you've learned about Habakkuk this week with your kids, connect in these three different ways. First, take time to say this prayer over your family. Lord God, help us to not be afraid to do as Habakkuk did and bring our questions, frustrations, and doubts to you. Help us to count on you and trust that even when we don't understand the brokenness of the world, we can remember that you are redeeming creation and drawing it ever closer to yourself. 
We love you, Lord. Amen. Take some time to share Habakkuk's story with your family. Tell them that Habakkuk was discouraged by the bad things he saw happening around him, and he asked God a very bold question. Are you good? God assured him that if he trusted in God, Habakkuk would come to see how good God really is. Share some of the questions that you have asked about God and how God has shown you the answers. Finally, create some space to wonder with your family. Ask your kids what kinds of things they notice are wrong with the world. Make a list and pray over those things together, asking God to keep on making the world a better place. Finally, keep this in mind. Often the secular culture looks at Christianity in the same way that Habakkuk looked at Israel. We have to own up to the brokenness in our midst and contribute toward the healing and reconciliation that needs to occur. All right, let's turn now to the rest of our reading, starting with Psalm 37, 1 through 9. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. When I read Psalm 37 in light of Habakkuk, it's almost as if the psalmist is talking to Habakkuk and trying to calm him down. After talking through Habakkuk's vulnerability, raw exposure, and lament, the psalmist's response seems almost a bit terse. Now to be fair, there are almost as many psalms of lament as there are psalms of praise, but in the context of our conversation this week, it is important to make sure that when we are faced with another believer's questions or doubts, we don't move too quickly into a, a response like the psalmists. There is a time and a place to allow for lament to move into the edification that is found in Psalm 37, but as a word of caution. Be sure to make time to empathize before moving into the hope and truth found in places like this psalm. Sometimes it's much easier to go through the checklist of actions that the psalmist prescribes here in Psalm 37 instead of doing the hard work of wading in with the hard questions and doubts of faith. Consider this. How good are you at empathizing with others? If you tend towards being a checklist person, how can you work towards sitting with others in their story a bit longer next time? Our next reading is from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In the introduction to the letter Paul is sending to Timothy, we encounter a very sweet personal note of encouragement from a mentor to a budding church leader. Paul is someone who has been at the work of the church for a long while, and he shows his experience and age a bit when he comments on having known Timothy's faithful mother and grandmother. This shout-out to Timothy's faith lineage plays an integral role in reminding Timothy where he has come from and the hope that can be found in the way that God has been at work for generations to ensure that Timothy is well-equipped for the work at hand. Timothy has received an excellent example of faith, and now he's being called to trust God and live a faithful life. While he's been given the tangible example of faithfulness, Paul reminds him that he has other tools at his disposal as he continues on in his ministry. In verse 7, Paul echoes Habakkuk's promise that God is at work in us by pointing out that the power and love of the Holy Spirit are present in Timothy. Paul mentions suffering a couple of times because he knows that when the Christian call creates moments of tension in our lives, it's sometimes hard to trust God. However, circling back to the faithfulness of the generations that have come before us, in the same way Paul is encouraging Timothy, we too should find hope in the way that God has continued to be at work in and through the lives of God's people throughout time. Consider this, who has set a faithful example for you to model your life after? How can you continue to seek mentors in your faith? Our final reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 17, 5 through 10. The apostle said to the Lord, increase your faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. After all that we talked about this week, Luke 17.5 speaks to the desire of our hearts in response to Habakkuk's theme and conclusion. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus goes on to talk about the power of faithfulness, but then he quickly cautions us as servants of God that this power isn't unique but part of our call toward Christ-like lives. The parable of the slave is an allegory for our role in serving the community of God. The home that we all serve is the church, and the ways that we bolster and edify that community is part of a responsibility as believers and participants in that home. May God use the work of the church in our lives to bolster our faith, and allow us to do the same for others. Finally, consider this. How are you currently participating in your church? How is it increasing your faith? Thank you for taking the time to check out Constant Source Podcast this week. If you'd like to start receiving our weekly digital devotional, you can find a link in the show notes. If you want to learn more about who Constant Source is and what we're up to, check us out at theconstantsource.com. If you like what you're hearing here and you want to weigh in on some of the theological topics that we talk about and you want to support the work of the show, check us out at patreon.com slash constantsource. 
Lastly, we are on social media. On Twitter, we are at constant underscore source. On Instagram, we're at constant source. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com backslash constant source. May your family be blessed. Have a great week.